Thank you to Contentful for supporting our podcast. I'm Marcelo Lewin, and this is the Contentful Creators Podcast, Season 1, Episode 15. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 15 of the Contentful Creators Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, developers, and other creators who use the Contentful content platform and related technologies to create web experiences. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a content solutions architect and a certified Contentful professional. Today, I'll be chatting all about chatbots with my guest, Jordi Torres, the founder of Inventa, who focuses on AI and natural language processing for chatbots and search engines. But before we get started, if you want more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles, all focused on creating web experiences using Contentful and related technologies, please visit www.contentfulcreators.com. All right, Jordi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Marcelo. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm glad to have you here. And thank you for joining me in the podcast and talking about a what seems like a simple topic because so many people use chatbots nowadays, but it's a very complicated topic on the back end. And that's what we're going to focus on. But before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. I'm uh, again, Jordi Torres. I am from Barcelona. If you guys go to Barcelona one day and yell out the name Jordi, you will see that 50% of the male population will turn around. It's a very common name over there. That's what I'm now living here in the, in the Bay Area. I started uh, computer science. I specialized in artificial intelligence. It was in the 90s. So that was a long time ago. And in 2005, I started uh, Inventor. And what made you focus on artificial intelligence? I mean, what got you? Because obviously you got into that before, quote unquote, it became popular. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's a fascinating topic seeing how machines can become intelligent because then you start asking yourself questions like what is intelligent? Could we identify what intelligence is if we would go to another planet or another civilization which contact us or questions like how intelligent are existing species and animals? So I was fascinated by that. And uh, it's interesting that you say that the AI kind of is now for a few years now, it's kind of popular again, but it's not the first time that it happened. There's been other waves where AI got super popular for a while. And then what is called the AI winter came over, which is basically when all the AI space just lost the kind of attention and traction. And then a few years later, it comes back. So I think we are now right after the at least the third AI winter in reality. Do you ever think computers will become self-aware? That's a super interesting question because we have to define what is self-aware. So is a chimpanzee self-aware? You would say yes, right? And then you start to going into other species and say, well, are ants self-aware? And then you start to wonder, well, that, now I don't know. So there is no fine definition of what self-aware is. And the other question is, 
maybe we don't need that. Maybe so can something be intelligent without being self-conscious? That's another interesting question here. And uh, with AI, all these questions come up. So it's not like more about the, what I believe that's going to happen or not, but all these questions on what is self-aware out of our human perspective. So before we jump into chatbots, you started a company called Inventa. Give us just like the two-minute elevator pitch of what is Inventa? Absolutely. So Inventa is a customer interaction manager. So essentially, is the technology that you would use to help your customers online your customers can search for information, they can chat with an agent, they can chat with a chatbot, they can search in the knowledge spaces. So we are the company that facilitates that communication using what we call symbolic AI. So it's a specific area of artificial intelligence and in the space of natural language processing that basically tries to understand user questions, having previously understood all the potential answers and basically choosing intelligently what would be the best answer for every user question. And that's why I invited you to this podcast, because you are the perfect person to begin the explanation of what is a chatbot. Let's define what a chatbot is. Absolutely. On a broad definition, a chatbot is the software that is able to follow a conversation with a human to accomplish one specific purpose. That's how I would define a chatbot. So what that purpose is, well, it could be just a simple ask your digital assistant on your cell phone what time it is, and that's already a conversation. Or it could be a way more complex conversation that would include maybe booking a trip or making your or filling your tax. So a chatbot is essentially any process that is accomplished or executed through a conversation. Now, we know chatbots as the ones that you go on the web and you type in your name and you start speaking. But would Alexa be considered a chatbot based on that definition? It is. It is indeed a chatbot. The thing with Alexa and Siri and Cortana and these guys is they're more called digital assistants. Essentially, there are a chatbot indeed, but they're called digital assistants just because they are more personal. They are about, about you. And if you look at what they do in reality is they are able to solve a limited number of cases. Let's say start music, call your mom and all these operations that you can do with your device. And when you ask any other question about any other topic, what you will see is essentially the digital assistants will defer to regular search on the internet. So in essence, chatbots in the perfect world are a bit more intelligent and they keep learning. In an ideal world, they would be A, intelligent, and B, usually focused on some task or domain. I see. So why don't you give us a big picture overview of how bots work from the back end and the technical side? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, chatbots, the first thing that they need is what we call the space of answers, meaning what are all the potential answers that a bot could answer? And then what is the kind of questions that these answers would be addressed? So that combination of potential question with potential answer in the world of the chatbots are called intents. So in other words, what you need to do is go and tell your chatbot what are the intents 
that the chatbot will should be able to answer. So everything starts start there. You define your intents, and then from there it comes the rest of of the deployment, which you know that's going to depend on the vendor and how complex you want this intents to deal with answers. But that will be the first step. Now that's interesting because I've been doing some Alexa skill building, and of course they work with intents. But intents are basically what you want them to respond to, right? To be able to respond. But then within at least for Alexa, you have utterances, which are the many ways that somebody can ask that intent. Is that something similar with the chatbot where you have, for example, the intent of looking up a particular document, but there may be 10 different ways of asking that? Absolutely. Funny you mention utterances because that word is, is popular now in the chatbot industry just because most of the AI implementations are based on machine learning. So basically it works like that. Machine learning is a fantastic technology which would take training data, labeled training data, and uh, understand and get a logic out of that data. So let me show you an example. You have a petabyte of pictures and every picture has a label that says, okay, there is a dog in this picture, there's a cat in this picture, there's a person in this picture. And then what you want is the machine learning to take all these pictures with the labels and try to guess if for any other picture that the system would see, try to guess if there's a cat or a dog or a person in the picture. So that is the power of machine learning. And it's been an immense advance in the capabilities of machine learning. So now with the chatbot, well, many folks do a similar thing. They say, well, what I need now are examples of actual user questions that should trigger that intent or should be interpreted as this answer, which you could call it the label, right? The difficulty here is the human language adds an overall complexity into the process. A human language is not only like a picture. A human language is the expression on how a world works, how a language works, how we humans see that world. So the concept of utterances has already triggered many criticism out there because basically what they say is it doesn't matter the number of utterances that you put into a system, they will never be intelligent. The machine learning, the way it is nowadays, will not emerge just because you throw a number of utterances. But yes, most of the, let's say, the legacy industry is using that, that approach. It's like, give me examples. They don't tell you how many examples, but they tell is if you don't give me enough examples, then I'm not going to be good enough. Just to clarify a little bit, do you using utterances to help teach the machine to further understand? So there is now this uh, proposition about using machine learning for natural language processing. And that is all about examples and utterances. But then there are experts out there, and I'm talking about uh, Gary Marcus, for example, who published this super interesting book, the book called Rebooting AI, which basically says, listen, it doesn't matter how many examples you throw at the machine learning algorithm, it will not process natural language intelligently. You need a different approach to AI in the way that uh, Gary calls symbolic AI. 
So many chatbots out there, you will see that uh, are based on these utterances system, but not all of them. Got it. So why don't you expand a little bit on symbolic AI? Can you explain what that means? Yeah, absolutely. So you can think a human language as a set of rules, right? So if you want to speak in a way that uh, you are understood, you have to follow certain rules. And the problem is that these rules are complex. But in reality, if let's say I say, if I say a sentence in English, like, it's like you don't like me. If you look at that, I use the word like twice, but in totally two different contexts. One like is a preposition, the other like is a verb, and they mean totally different things. And we humans are using these rules to understand each other all the time. So what we try to do with, if we use just machine learning, what we're trying to do is just by these examples, try to uh, machine learning to understand all these complex rules. And that's why it simply doesn't work. With symbolic AI, the idea is instead of just understanding or, or looking at the user questions as if they were pictures of animals or any other thing, is understand they are based on symbols. And every symbol relates to a semantic network and represents a world. And that world has a number of rules and the world, there are things that everybody knows about that. So the example that I put is, let's imagine that tomorrow I'm starting working in a, let's say, call center in Moscow for a company. Well, I would start at nine o'clock in the morning and by lunchtime I would be fired because it doesn't matter how intelligent I am, I don't speak Russian. And because of that, there is nothing that I can do. Learning a new language is really complex. Even if they would give me a few so-called utterances in Russian, imagine trying to just, it doesn't matter, they give me 10 utterances or 100 utterances. If I don't understand what I see, if I don't see the context, if I don't understand the world that they're, they're talking about, my performance as this call center agent would be really poor. So a symbolic AI is essentially an AI that goes beyond the simply, you know, pattern matching on utterances and starts applying and understanding the language is composed of, of symbols and every symbol has a meaning and a function in any human expression. And all the rules that go along with those as well. Exactly. And sometimes the rules are complex and there have many exceptions. In the first place, we don't really know how we humans acquire a language. And that has been a long questioned and debated topic among the scholars which is, okay, is language something that is somehow pre-built in a human brain when we are born? Or is something that just any intelligence could grasp? That's the first question, and there is no a clear answer about that. But it is obvious that now that it's been tried, teach other animals human language with some sort of results sometimes, but really, really poor. So... Here you go to the point of saying, well, maybe the human brain is pre-wired to understand human language. And also on top of that, you have only certain time in your life to acquire that language. And it doesn't really matter the language, but after that, it is really hard for you to start learning other languages. That's why I have my accent, for example, because, you know, it's very hard to when the language that you learned as a kid and then you want to speak another language and understand other languages is extremely hard. And at the same time, you see that for small kids, it's super easy. So 
that is still an open question over here. And that's why proponents of the symbolic AI model of artificial intelligence, they say, hey, it's not enough to just uh, put a neural network and a machine learning algorithm out there. You have to pre-wire the same logic that comes pre-wired with the human brains. And that's where that symbolic AI is coming from. Right. I completely agree with you. And I think you're right about, for example, like you have an accent. I'm also not from the US and I don't have an accent, but I came here when I was very, very young, whereas I have a brother that was probably the same age as you when they came to the US and they have an accent. But Part of it is not also an age thing, but it's also being embedded in that because you learned the language. You may have an accent, but you still have the knowledge of the language and the structure and all the rules around it. Is that something that needs to be applied as well into AI and chatbots? In other words, embedding that chatbot into the world that you want it to learn, if that makes sense. Totally. And uh, the answer is absolutely yes. And I believe you used here, we used two different words they have a big difference, which is, on one hand, learning a language, which is what I did with English, and on the other hand is acquiring a language, which is what I did when I was a kid with my home language, which is a language called Catalan, but there are not a lot of speakers out there. But the difference is, okay, humans end up speaking several languages, but through two different processes, they can learn a language, and we know that's hard, and they acquire a language, which seems to happen naturally in a span of time of the life of a person. And uh, in reality, we don't understand very much how that is happening. And therefore, it is very hard to replicate that into a machine. That's why natural language processing is, at this point, the most difficult task that artificial intelligence is facing. And there are many things that work. And at the end of the day, you when you go out there, it's like you have AI that uses machine natural language processing and they have something that works. And, you know, there are a lot of natural language processing applications, but you don't have yet a software or a machine that would be undistinguishable from, from a human. That doesn't exist today. Yeah, definitely. Now, I want to get back to symbolic AI in just a minute. So let's hold that thought in our brain. But you've been mentioning AI, natural language processing and machine learning real quick. Give us the difference between all of those, because I feel that people just use those terms interchangeably and they're really not. They're not. Let's start with a broader term, which is artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence is any technique or technology that is able to take over a task that previously was only doable by humans. And look at that by definition, what is happening is that what is AI and what is not AI, it changes all the time. Now I can open my smartphone and uh, play chess and probably I'm going to lose because I'm not very, I'm not good at playing chess, but a relatively simple software can beat me very, very quickly. We don't call it AI today to these chess playing games, but not that long ago, somebody said that the day that computers can win a champion on chess, that would be AI. And then it was not chess and it was Go, the game, and then it's going to be in some other way. So, so the artificial intelligence is what is yet 
about to be implemented. And it's a broad term. The term for uh, natural language processing is about really understanding and uh, processing human language. And the term natural language is kind of a technical term because natural languages is defined as contract with a formal language. And a formal language would be, I don't know, JavaScript, HTML, PHP. All these are, are formal languages. Or even if I write a math formula, that is a formal language because it has no ambiguity. So it is natural language is complicated. You look at English, you look at Spanish, and you say, okay, who invented this languages? And the answer is nobody. So, okay, if nobody invented English, who did? Well, humans. Okay, which human? Well, there's no answer to that. The languages evolve with customers, which make it extremely difficult for computers. And finally, machine learning is about learning by example. So tell me examples and examples, and every example has to be labeled with some sort of outcome that I want to predict. Machine learning will take thousands or hundreds of thousands or billions of examples, and then we'll try to find the logic out of those examples and uh, predict these labels in the future. So now let's go back to symbolic AI, because you mentioned that, but I want you to bring that down to an actual example, let's say in an organization that you have thousands of documents and you want to help your customers via a chatbot and be able to bring those documents to surface to help that. Can you give us examples of how symbolic AI works in that situation? Yeah, absolutely. Let's imagine, let, let's make a, a thought experiment. Let's say you are inside a computer and you are the chatbot. Okay. And I am what we call the bot master. I am the guy in charge of teaching you all the utterances and all the intents and potential answers. Okay. And I'm telling you, let's say you are AI and say, hey, this is an answer for request refund. So when a customer goes and requests a refund, you should tell the customer this, this, and that. Okay. So let's, let's, let's pretend you are the chatbot. And now I'm going to go to you as a chatbot and I am now the final user, and I'm asking you the question, hey, can I get the money back? Do you think that that question would match the refund question, the refund intent? Well, I think if we go by what I understand, like I mentioned back with Alexa, with utterances, that if you have those all the variety of different utterances in there, you could match it to the intent. Exactly. But what if I have not given you any utterances? Right. I have not given you any example. You being a, let's say, very smart and also an English speaker, you would say, well, if you want to get the money back, what you are telling me is that you, you want a refund because you know, but why do you know it? You know it because you know that a refund is about money. You know that return and get something back is related. But how do you differentiate the word back from getting back from the word about someone's back? There is the same word. How do you know about all that? And now when you start to thinking on, on why do you know, you see that in reality, the way that your brain operates is with a lot of existing knowledge and context that you are using all the time. And then you have super clear how to transform human words into this idea, internal ideas that we call symbols. In other words, I say words, but then in your brain, those words are translated into symbols and these symbols 
are related to other symbols and other ideas. That's what the symbolic AI tries to replicate. And by doing that, what it is trying to do is to avoid all this unnecessary work of having to add utterances and utterances and utterances, which at the end of the day, there's never going to be enough. So you're almost teaching it context. That is correct. Right. Because the reality is, how do I know that is that when you say I want money back, it's not like, like you said, it's my back or I'm back from work. It's all on the context, right? And how we use it. So you're not describing all these utterances. You're, you're describing a variety of contexts. And then all these symbols can exist within this context and can mean have different meanings. Exactly. Using symbolic AI is the way to deal with natural language processing in a way that goes analytic, that uh, first says, okay, these are the words. We all know that humans speak through words. So you take all, and basically anything you say or you write is a sequence of words. That's clear. So you take all these words and then you need to transform these words into symbols. And these symbols are related and are related to other symbols that you also have in your brain. So all that context is a gigantic network of symbols that follow rules and you can deduct on them and you can reason on them. And that's what the symbolic AI simulates or replicates somehow. So let's get into a little bit more of the details here. With AI, there's something called AIML, which is a markup language. Is that something that bots today use? Can you explain a little bit about how AIML works? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. AIML is, as you said, is an XML based language. The creators of AIML, they call it artificial intelligence markup language. But using artificial intelligence in that context was a a long shot. There is no intelligence there. If you look at that and how AIML works is basically based on patterns. So you can say, okay, I'm going to have an AIML pattern that I'm going to call hello star or hello asterisk. So if somebody asks me hello and anything else, I'm going to answer hello, how are you? So basically the AIML is a way to put these patterns based on either specific words or these stars or these wild cards, if you will. So it's in reality a way to, uh, if you have heard the expression, the regular expression concept is basically a way to put all your potential answers as regular expressions. Now, are they useful? Well, it's very hard really to implement a chatbot using AIML. I would say it is not practical, but there are a big amount of AIML open source resources out there to answer many questions. And in reality, if you look at Inventa, we are using AIML for one specific function, which is what we call the chit chat conversation. So you have an Inventa chatbot, let's say, and you say, hey, do you like a Star Wars? Well, among the hundreds of thousands of patterns that we use from the open source community, you will see our chatbot answer, yes, I love it, especially the robots. Say, hey, uh, how do you know that answer? Well, it's essentially a pattern that somebody else created in this, uh, as I said, open source resources that says exactly if you ask precisely, do you like Star Wars? The answer is yes, 
especially the robots. And that, this is basically how AIML works. That makes a lot of sense. So let's switch over into developers and developers implementing chatbots. What kind of skills do developers need to have to be able to implement a chatbot? There is the easy part of a chatbot and the complicated stuff of a chatbot. So when you talk to a chatbot and say, okay, I want to implement the natural language component. Well, that is complicated. First, as I said, you have to decide, are you going to go with a machine learning algorithm? Then we know that you're going to need a lot of utterances. Or am I going to use some kind of symbolic AI? And then I'm going to need a database of all these symbols, which probably I don't have. So let's say... Okay, I'm going to actually use an existing platform. That would be the most practical for that. There are many vendors out there offering solutions for that. Then nowadays, all these platforms offer a RESTful API. And uh, starting on there, then in reality, building the chatbot is kind of simple and to some extent is independent of the language. Now, if you need to implement your own uh, machine learning library, which, as I said, is going to kind of uh, take you halfway to, to the natural language processing problem. But if you want to take that path, Python is an excellent primary language because it comes equipped with many tools that are great for implementing the kind of operations that machine learning requires. But other than that, in reality, developing a chatbot is sort of are quite uh, independent on the programming language. I think, and usually you would have SDKs for it anyway. Exactly. Um, you know, you take your libraries, your vendors will offer you usually RESTful APIs. Sometimes on top of these APIs, your vendors might uh, build uh, maybe a JavaScript SDK. So it's going to be easy for you to deploy that on a website. Maybe an iOS SDK that's going to make it easy for you to deploy as an iPhone application. So you're going to use existing libraries and SDKs and APIs for sure. And then you can use whatever programming language you are, you are most familiar with. So I want to talk a little bit about buyer personas and user personas, because when we speak to people, depending on who I'm speaking with, if it's somebody my age, I may answer very casually. But if it's, let's say, my grandma, I may be answering in a little bit more of a respectful way. So that's sort of understanding that persona that you're dealing with. How does that affect chatbots? I would say the problem of natural language processing per se is so complex that actually also being able to treat people the right way in every age group and every social group and in even every, every culture, that is an extra layer of complexity. However, there are some chatbots that implement some sort of what they call sentiment detection, which is, okay, I got a user is asking me questions, but besides the specific meaning of that question, that a chatbot might try to see if there is some other sentiment, meaning is the customer angry right now? Is it happy? Is he kind of uh, being sarcastic with me? That is the sentiment detection. And some chatbots react based on that. And they might take different decisions based on not only on the kind of question, but the kind of tone or the sentiment. And then when it comes to the persona, is very much about company policy and say, okay, we need the several uh, market distinction in our CRM and the way that I talk to the corporate customer is different than the way that I talk to the, let's say, our younger population kind of customers and our website and uh, 
uses different language with different tone. And if the chatbot is aware of that, when the, if the chatbot knows who is, is he talking to, then the chatbot can basically follow those style guides and these policies to refer to the person. But it's all about being able to know that who you are talking to at any point of time. So that's how the chatbot would react to the sentiment and the people it's dealing with. Also, there is a personality that a company may have, and they may want to reflect that personality via their chatbot. So for example, like a perfect company with, with like a very funny and hip personality, MailChimp, right? When you go to their website and you read all the collateral, they're very uh, casual. How do you give chatbots personality? Basically, it's on the tone of the answers. At the end of the day, if you look what a chatbot in reality is, the chatbot is not generating new language. The chatbot is using answers that the bot master already pre-programmed into the chatbot and that they were basically subject to be the answer to certain intents. So here is the bot master is the one who will decide the tone in the way that the bot master is basically giving the chatbot all these answers. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. So can you explain conversation flow and what that is and how is that set up? So, okay, in the simplest mode, and you will see chatbots out there doing this, a chatbot is often implemented as a menu in reality. So you click the chatbot and then what you chatbot widget or a chatbot window and then you say, okay, Mr. Customer or Mr. User, what do you want to do today? Because I can do A, B, or C. And then, okay, I click A, and then, oh, thank you, Mr. Customer. Now that you click A, now you have the option to do one, two, or three. So many, many chatbots conversations are in reality some sort of menu tree. And this is as old as computers. And I don't call that conversational, although arguably some vendors out there would say, well, there's already a conversation, although the conversation looks very much the same. It's like, I can do this, this or that. You tell me what, what I want. A conversation, you know, gets into, well, indeed that, because as I said at the beginning, a chatbot is supposed to be trying to fulfill or accomplish a task. So the chatbot might need information. The chatbot will be asking you information when in it, let's say you, uh, you book a hotel, the chatbot will say, are you sure? How many guests are you going to be coming with? And I need to ask you what kind of rooms. And I have, the chatbot needs a lot of information from the user. So the chatbot will be asking that information and there's going to be options. All that flow that comes in and out between a chatbot and a user is the conversation. And we have uh, mapped the Instead of saying, okay, let's have a chatbot that is able to take or to perform any conversation, that is extremely complicated. And you would agree that, you know, there are persons that are more interesting than others in their conversation, right? So, okay, say, okay, well, what is a chatbot? Let's go back into what is, let's say, a call center conversation and how an agent deals with a customer. That's the way most chatbots map their conversation, which is essentially a first, hello, hello, thank you, thank you. That's the first conversation that we call the chit chat or the warming up conversation. Then the user will ask the central question, which is, this is what I want, or this is what I want to know. The chatbot will then make sure that uh, he understood the question. So it's like, okay, is that what you want? Yes, yes. So there's a handshake as well there. And then the chatbot will start asking questions that you So, you know, for, as I said, 
number number of guests. They gave me the name for every guest. All this now here is the chatbot who is asking the question to the user until the task transaction or operation is finished, and then the chat will say, "Okay, is there any? Uh, are you happy with that? Yes, yes. Is there anything that I can help you with? No, no." That would be essentially the topology of a call center conversation. And if you have your chatbot being able to do all that and pull this off, that is already a big success. Now, what happens is exceptions. So, you know, you're a chatbot, you ask your user how many guests are going to be in the hotel, and then the user will say, yeah, oh, well, by the way, is there a swimming pool in the... And then what you have to do is like, as a chatbot is like, okay, what, let's pause that for a second. I was having this conversation, but now it's been somehow interrupted. So I'm going to leave it what it was. I'm going to answer the swimming pool question, and then I need the chatbot to go back into what it was. So all this let's say, interruptions, changes of topic. These are very often very difficult to manage by chatbots. But some start to be successfully also managing these exceptions and interruptions as well. So does that mean that there's a tool that you can use to create these conversation flows? And if so, is there a standard for creating these conversation flows? Or does every vendor implement their own way of doing that? Every vendor implements that differently, but there are similarities. Some would call them decision trees. Some will call dialogue flows. Well, the chatbot product of Google is literally called a dialogue flow. And you basically map that conversation as a tree of where the conversation could end. And again, a chatbot is a closed system. You cannot have a chatbot that will talk about anything. So you have to define at every every step in the conversation what is the information that you are asking the customer. And based on that conversation, what should be next? So essentially a conversation or the engine that a chatbot is using to handle a conversation is a finite state machine. The chatbot is in one particular state, let's say, tell me how many guests, and waiting for an input or an answer from the user. And then based on that, it's going to go to a next step or next state. And basically, a bot master needs to put together all these states in a flow and say, okay, from asking the number of guests state, I'm going to the next state, which is going to be ask the name and last name for every guest. Just as an example, right? So you need to map your process in terms of, of that. And interestingly enough, if you've been in the call center or the customer service industry, that is exactly the kind of documentation that call center agents use. They might have a Microsoft Visual document, maybe a PowerPoint. Anyways, they have some sort of algorithm or organigram on saying, okay, this is what I say, this is what the customer should answer, then based on that, they should go this and that. So they have these maps in reality on paper sometimes that basically maps out how the dialogue should be and uh, the kind of decisions that should be taken. And that's exactly what a chatbot will get. And that's how you would program a chatbot. So in a way, programming a chatbot is not very different than, double quotes here, programming a call center agent. At the end of the day, a call center agent is kind of following these scripts and these diagrams and these flows. And um, the human intelligence here is going to be, you know, first understand the questions and making sure that 
following the step by step here, but the policy and the dialogue, the potential dialogue are defined at, at the corporate level. And yeah, yeah, and that basically that the same thing you would do with the chatbot. Yeah, and there are times when it's very easy to see when a real person is following the script because they give you an answer to something you really didn't ask. So they missed the context of what I was asking. So I think that's a perfect example where things can break down, whether it's AI or it's a real person. Yes, sometimes uh, probably you, you found yourself having a difficult conversation with a real agent. Sometimes, definitely, <laughs> uh, you know, they're not that smooth. More often than not. <laughs> so, Jordi, we're almost out of time. And I have literally like, I think another 20 questions, but we're not going to get to them today. Maybe we'll have you back for a part two. This has been really fascinating. I do have one last question about making a chatbot more human-like. Do you feel that throwing in avatars would be a step towards making chatbots a bit more human-like? That is the million-dollar question. There is a very interesting article on the Wikipedia called The Uncanny Valley. So The Uncanny Valley is that weird effect that happens with humans in which when you are interacting with something that is very much looks like a human but is not, instead of awaking you a feel of engagement and being close to that, it creates a weird rejection idea. For example, if you look at all the digital animation, right? They, you know, there some say one day in movies, you know, actual persons will not be needed because all the computer graphics are going to actually generate the perfect humans. If you look at that in reality, when they tried to do that, to really have hyper-realistic computer-generated graphics for characters, they failed. And if you look at the recent Disney movies, in reality, the characters that they are using are very exaggerated. Big eyes, small mouths, super big heads. They're not realistic. And what they discovered is if they try to be realistic, what happens is right the opposite. It becomes uncanny. It becomes terrifying. It becomes very creepy. Exactly. Yeah, what well, we've seen movies and in fact my son literally just recently showed me this amazing game on the computer. Uh, he's got a super high-end computer but the graphics were amazing and you look at the people and I mean it's almost lifelike right? But there's still something about them like there's no life in their eyes. I, I can't pinpoint what it is but there's something about them that is a little bit creepy and you know they're not real people. Exactly. That is the uncanny valley <laughs> effect in action. So, and sometimes it's also called the zombie effect, which is someone should be dead, but he's alive, but he's not alive. Oh, geez, that, 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 that's scary. So until that problem is solved, I believe that the avatars are very limited in the kind of help that they can provide. If you, you know, we don't have the webcam on, right? But if we would, over a webcam, you and I would be talking and we would see each other. Imagine a time where what you see on the webcam would be totally digital and you would believe it's a person. The technology is not there by far. It's not there. But imagine that you could talk to, let's say, to Siri or a digital assistant or a chatbot over a web conferencing conversation with a virtual webcam that, of course, doesn't really exist, and you would see a person who's looking at you at, your, at the eyes and reacts like a human. That would be amazing, but we are, I believe, centuries 
away from actually building this kind of technology. Oh, wow. Okay. I was going to ask you, do you believe where I was thinking you were going to say five, 10 years from now, but centuries. So you really don't feel that we have anything in the current technology that'll get us to that point. I believe that the current technology is going to bring valuable outcomes. I believe that there is technology out there that is going to help one thing, which is the following is, okay, how can I put that? So humans hate boring, right? And since, you know, we entered into the industrial revolution, we are no longer having to go out there and picking food ourselves. Now where most of us don't have to fight predators. And now we have our brain open to do anything and uh, a very powerful brain. And what if your job is boring, essentially boring? That is a big condemnation. So if your job is essentially boring, first, it's going to be taken over by a machine if it's not already been. And second, you don't want that job anyways. So I believe that artificial intelligence, natural language processing, all these technologies are very quickly taking over all these activities, all this human work that can only be made by humans, but at the same time are boring. And I'm glad about that. And this is not going to happen in 10 years. It's not going to happen in 100 years. It's happening now and at a very, very rapid speed. Now, if you ask me how, when will I look at screen and a robot trick me into believing that it was a real person, but it was not, for that is where we are a hundred years away, I believe. Interesting. Well, we'll see. Only time will tell. Absolutely. Jordi, I wish we had another hour and actually we do have another hour worth of questions, but we'll leave it for part two. So maybe I can get you back here sometime to do a part two on this. What do you think? That would be an honor. And again, thank you so much for having me here. You have a fantastic show over here with so many valuable guests that I'm really honored to be here. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for sharing all your knowledge. I really appreciate it. If people want to get a hold of you, do you want to give a URL, a website, a email, whatever you like? Absolutely. I would like to go to Inventa with uh, I-N B-E-N-T-A.com. This is the company that I created, devoted to artificial intelligence, symbolic AI, chatbots, and all that. And they can try the technology by themselves. They can click on free evaluation. They can click on a demo for free, and we will be happy to show our capabilities. Fantastic. And we'll put it on the show notes. So, Jordi, thank you so much. And to the rest of you, I'm glad you were here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.contentfulcreators.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles. So until the next episode, I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everyone.